Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. And the Bible reading is from Acts chapter 16 and verses 16 to 32. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. When they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. In verse 30, the the jailer comes up to Paul and Silas and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wouldn't you just love it if someone came up to you and asked you that question? I would just love it if someone called me Sir. But if if someone was to ask me that question, it would really make my day. But what led to this jailer asking this question? I mean, people don't just come up to you and sort of say, well, excuse me, uh, but what must I do to be saved? So what led to this jailer asking this question? Let me make the suggestion that it was the lifestyle of Paul and Silas that led to this jailer asking that question. We read in verse 16, Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, 
the spirit left her. Now, while these demon-inspired words were providing free publicity for the gospel, when it continued for many days, Paul became troubled. Do you see, because free publicity for the gospel is no compensation for the fact that this girl was in spiritual bondage and her slave owners were exploiting her spiritual bondage in order to make money. And therefore, out of love, Paul turns around and says to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. It's not surprising then that we read in verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. Take note of their motivation. Their hope of making money was gone. When the hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Again, take note of their accusation. They don't mention anything about their financial inconvenience, but rather they appeal to the anti-Jewish feelings and the racial pride that was rife in Philippi. These men are Jews, us Romans. We read in verse 22, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So a great injustice has taken place. In fact, it was even a greater injustice because later on we discovered that Paul and Silas were actually Roman citizens. And Roman citizens were politically exempt from being stripped, beaten and flogged and thrown into prison without a trial. And they were entitled to a fair trial, something Paul and Silas clearly did not have. So a great injustice has taken place all because of an act of love, setting a slave girl free from spiritual bondage. And as a result, they were seized because of the slave girl's owner's love of money. They were stripped, beaten, flogged and thrown into prison because of racial hatred. And their rights as a Roman citizen had been violated. So a great injustice had taken place. Yet, we read in verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were singing praise songs to God. Let me tell you, if I was Silas, if I was Silas and if I was in that prison cell with Paul, let me tell you, Paul would have been singing a solo. There is absolutely no way I am singing praise songs to God. I would be moaning and groaning. I would be complaining that my rights have been violated. I would be demanding compensation. I would be demanding an independent inquiry. 
This is the natural response. But what we discover over here is that Paul and Silas's peace and joy is not dependent on favorable circumstances, but is dependent on a right relationship with God. And therefore, their peace and their joy transcends their circumstances. It even transcends their own understanding. And Luke writes at the end of verse 25, And the other prisoners were listening to them. The other prisoners were listening to them. When you are unfairly treated, when you are a victim of an injustice, how do you respond? Because other people are listening to you. Verse 26. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, in Roman law, if a jailer allows a prisoner to escape, then the jailer is liable to suffer the same penalty that the prisoner would have suffered. Presumably, he believed that he was going to be executed, so he decides to take his own life instead. But we read in verse 28, But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. We are all here. Again, let me tell you, if I was Silas, after that earthquake, Paul would have been sitting in that prison cell by himself. I would have been, thank you, Jesus, and out of the door. There's no way I'm sticking around in that prison. But what we discover over here is that Paul and Silas give up their opportunity of freedom in order to show love, sacrificial love to the jailer. The jailer, if he's not the actual person who stripped them, beat them, flogged them, and threw them into prison because of racial hatred, he at least symbolizes that person. This is Paul's enemy. And it's to this enemy that Paul and Silas show love, sacrificial love. And it's the result of this love that the jailer comes up to them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And if we want people to come up to us and to ask us that question, then we need to start loving people sacrificially, even our enemies. Also take note of their availability. Paul and Silas's availability. Going back all the way back to verse 16, we, we discover that they were on their way to a place of prayer. Now a place of prayer was a substitute for a synagogue. You had to have ten males in order to set up a Jewish synagogue. Failing that, they would set up a place of prayer out uh, under the open sky uh, as a substitute. And Paul and Silas had had a very successful ministry at this Jewish place of prayer 
every Sabbath. For example, in verse 14, we discover that a lady by the name of Lydia had responded favorably to Paul and Silas's preaching. So Paul and Silas had had a very successful ministry at the place of prayer every Sabbath. But now they've been arrested. They've been thrown into prison. They are being prevented from going to the place of prayer. They could have so easily just thrown their hands up in the air and said, Oh, well, there's nothing we can do now. We're stuck here in prison. I, I thought God had called us to, to preach His Word, but, but now we have no way of getting to the place of prayer where we're stuck here. But of course, Paul and Silas have a completely different attitude. They realize that God can use them wherever they are. God can even use them in prison. And we need to have the same attitude. We need to realize that God can use us wherever we are. We don't have to be in church. We don't have to be in this building in order to minister. God can transform our homes, our workplaces, our sports clubs, our local pubs into a place of prayer. God can use us wherever we are. Also take note, it's highly unlikely that a Roman jailer would have ever gone to a Jewish place of prayer. So God, rather than trying to get the jailer to the place of prayer, God brings the place of prayer to the jailer. Before we can get the world into the church, we first need to take up the challenge of being the church in the world. But it doesn't matter how available you are. It doesn't matter how much you love people sacrificially, if, if you're not praying, then the door to the gospel will not be open. You see, it was the result of Paul and Silas praying in the prison that God intervened miraculously with an earthquake that literally blew the prison doors open, but figuratively opened the door for Paul and Silas to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, with the jailer. You see, it's only when we live in the life and pray that the door to the gospel will be open, that people will come up to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Paul writes in Colossians uh, chapter, chapter t- uh, 4 and verse 2, he says, devote yourself to prayer. Be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Are you devoted to prayer? Are you praying for your non-Christian friends and family? I can remember many years ago when I was uh, still living in South Africa, uh, I went to, to Durban for a, a week-long wave ski surfing competition. I was going to be staying with fellow competitors for the whole week, and I thought, this is a great opportunity for me to, to witness to my fellow competitors, a great opportunity for me to share something about my faith and my love of Jesus with, uh, with my fellow competitors. And so I prayed... I pray that uh, that they would see something in my life 
that would prompt them to ask me why you acted like, why I acted like I did. And then I would be able to share something about my faith. Or that there would just be an opening, a natural opening in the conversation that would naturally lend itself for me to share something about my faith in Jesus. And I prayed this prayer every day, and every day came and went, and, and no opening arose. Eventually, it was the last day, and I can remember praying, God, this is the last day. Please, let there be some kind of opening or opportunity for me to share something in my faith. Please let them just see something and prompt them to ask a question why I, I lived like I did. And, and again, the day came and went, and, and no opening arose. It was very late that night after prize giving. We were making our way home. I was sitting in the back seat of the car, basically half falling asleep. And a friend of mine, Steve, was driving. His wife, Wendy, was sitting next to him. And as we were driving home, suddenly Wendy turned around and, and said to me, So, Mike, why are you a Christian? I was kind of hoping for something a little bit more obvious. Uh, <laughs> In fact, it was so obvious and so direct. It took me totally off guard. I was completely shocked. Uh, I was talking around in circles for a while. Eventually, I got something out that sort of, uh, of my testimony, something about why and how I became a Christian, why I love Jesus. Uh, I can remember that night lying in bed and just praying, God, please take those very feeble words of mine and, and use it to plant a seed in their life. It was many months after that at another wave surfing competition that, that Steve and Wendy came up to me and they said, Mike, we just want you to know we've started attending the local church. And as far as I'm aware, they're still attending that church today. You see, when we take up the challenge to be the church in the world, and when we start praying that God would place open doors for us to share the gospel, then people will come up to us and they will say, what must I do to be saved? It won't be every day. It won't be every week. It won't be every month. But God will open doors for us to share the gospel. Then the question will be, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be prepared to share the good news about Jesus Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that so often we, we, we do not handle unfair treatment the way we should. And Father, so often we do not love others the way we should, especially those who, who rub us up the wrong way, those we find difficult to, to get on with, those who have wronged us. Father, won't you forgive us? Please forgive us. And please help us to live the way you want us to. Help us to live the way Jesus did. Help us to forgive the way Jesus did. Help us to love others sacrificially the way Jesus did. And Father, it is our, our desire to, to share the good news of Jesus by the way we live. And Father, we long for people to see a difference in our life the way we live. But Father, we also realize it doesn't come easy and so often we get, it, we get things wrong. Won't you please help us by your Holy Spirit, empower us and enable us to love sacrificially like Jesus and to live the way we should. And Father, we also confess that we don't, we don't pray the way we should. We, we, we're not devoted to prayer. Father, help us, stir within us a real passion to, to spend time with you, to be devoted to prayer, and particularly to pray for, for our loved ones, our friends, our family members who don't know you, who haven't experienced that your great love and forgiveness in their life. 
And Father, we do pray that you would place before us open doors. Father, we we confess we're so weak when it comes to, to sharing our faith. Sometimes, Father, we confess that even when opportunities do come about, we we sometimes simply too embarrassed to speak up. Won't you forgive us? And won't you place opportunities for us and make it easy for us, but also empower us and enable us. Give us that confidence we need, that freedom, mixed in, of course, with gentleness and sensitivity to be able to, to respond wisely and to share our great love for you. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.